Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everyone and welcome to the latest edition of the Royal Blue Podcast as we look forward to um, Everton's third fixture of the uh, Premier League season that's home to Nottingham Forest uh, tomorrow. I'm joined by regular guest uh, Gavin Buckland and our Everton correspondent uh, Joe Thomas. Uh, Joe, you just come back from Finch Farm where Frank Lampard's been doing his pre-match um, press conference. As, as imagined, I mean, he, he was quizzed on uh, a, a few uh, transfer matters, but he, he was certainly tight-lipped when it came to uh, to players who, who weren't at the club at the moment. It won't uh, surprise anybody, I don't think, to know that we asked him all the obvious questions and he refused to go into much detail with the answers to most of them. So, you know, we discussed the situation with Anthony Gordon. In terms of what Everton's players, we discussed the situations around Anthony Gordon and around Deli Alley. And we also discussed or attempted to discuss what the latest may be on on Idrissa Gay. And obviously we asked him about the striker situation as well and whether or not you know he was actively seeking forwards. And if so, what were the dominating factors in the plans? Because as everybody can see at the moment in time, uh, no new no new attackers have been brought in, certainly not recently, or certainly not if you look beyond Dwight McNeil. So, so yeah, so, it, I mean, it was an interesting press conference, if not the most illuminating one for it. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, as, as Joe says, Gavin, um, Frank was uh, batting off those kind of questions as we, we, we've come to expect from him. But it, it was interesting, really, um, the responses he had to about the, the striker issue and that he, he said that, yes, they do you know remain in the hunt for a striker. But as far as he was concerned, it wasn't a desperate search. Uh, yeah, it depends what you define by desperate, I suppose, yeah. really, doesn't it? Um, desperate may be like they don't want to bring one in by Monday, but you would expect something to 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 come by the transfer window. I, I, so I, I get that if if that means you know we what we were looking for the right option, mm-hmm. so we're giving going to give ourselves the longest time we can to get that option, which is the end of the transfer window, which is whatever that is. What's that two weeks away? Is it something like yeah. that? Yeah, uh, if that's what he means, that's fair enough. I wouldn't want us to um, think, oh, we've got a game against Forest or and we've got a League Cup game next week. Get one in by then. If we get one by, by the transfer window, which means we've we've exhausted our possibilities and we've, we've, we've done, done all the options, then I've not got a problem with that. The, the only problem with that, though, is, and this depends on transfer activity elsewhere, is... The longer the window goes on and everybody knows we need to strike her, I think that probably ramps up the price a little bit, doesn't it? Perhaps. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm desperate, desperate if that's what he means, is I, I, I get that. Yeah. Um, Joe, it was it was interesting in terms of um, Anthony Gordon um, 
obviously he wasn't quite as emphatic as he was in, in the USA in terms of Gordon's future, uh, given the, the the Chelsea interest in him. But um, there's been reports from from other sources over over the last few hours that um, Everton supposedly came in with a late bid for Morgan Gibbs White were unsuccessful obviously ironically Nottingham Forest is where he's gone to tomorrow's opponents could Evertonians be concerned thinking well why have they come in at this late stage for somebody like that and what was such a, a big money transfer because you can see where they can put two and two together in terms of Anthony Gordon with something like that I mean it's interesting and I suppose we can perhaps see a little bit of a pattern we can almost gain a little bit of insight into some of the elements of Evans' transfer window when you think that something similar happened with Onana. Obviously, Onana was somebody who, like Morgan Gibbs-White, they had been tracking for a considerable amount of time. He wasn't yeah. a new player on their radar, but he was somebody that it appears that Lille and, and Onana were in advanced discussions with West Ham before Everton eventually jumped in. Now, obviously, we've seen reports that Everton may have, have made a late bid for, for Morgan Gibbs-White. Not sure if, if, if that's quite the case, but they were definitely, definitely interested in him and had interest in him throughout the window. I guess it, it probably shows a degree of, of where Everton are. Maybe they're adopting quite a, a cautious approach in the transfer window. Maybe they're, you know, they're doing their research, they're identifying players, and they're, they're tracking them to see how the window goes as they also do their due diligence in, in, in the background that as well. And, you know, perhaps obviously you know, there may be times, say for instance, like Onana or possibly like with Gibbs White, where they might have got 80, 80% of the way to their conclusion of what they were going to do. And then something another club just does goes and forces their hand. So, I mean, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be too concerned about it because mm. Everton have just signed and spent money on a, a really promising young central midfielder who in nine minutes of Premier League football has only raised the level of expectation and enthusiasm in what he could potentially do at the club. So I, I you know, I, I wouldn't be too concerned about that. If anything, I would perhaps take the positives from it. And the positive being one that, you know, Everton are clearly looking at youth and long-term signings or certainly that element of of, of a player and, and what they can bring to a club is, is at least some part of the transfer strategy this this summer and the other thing as well is if it was the case that Everton came in with a late bid well Morgan Gibbs White as we know has gone for a substantial outlay from Nottingham Forest so the hope would be that if Everton have identified targets elsewhere then obviously you would hope that they would feel comfortable spending money on them uh you know that th there must be some degree of a pot there if they actually went into Morgan gibbs white so it's not a case of they're spent out following the purchase albeit structured of, of onana maybe it's a case that there is a pot there there is still some there and obviously then that comes into the hunt for a striker and it suggests that maybe they're not just looking for a loan maybe if the right player came along that they thought could have the right impact on the squad and would be available there and have the right personality that you know there is a little bit of money to, to spend there so it's not just looking at the the dregs of the transfer window there might be some ambition with who comes in it's just identifying the right player for the right price just in relation to Anthony Gordon Lampard perhaps wasn't as emphatic as he, he was in the US when discussing his future but of course in the US he didn't have the spectre of of, 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 of serious interest at that time obviously there had been earlier on in the window which he managed to fend off from from Spurs and, and from Newcastle, but 
one thing that Lampard was definitely emphatic with was the fact that Anthony Gordon is currently a blue. Frank Lampard wants Anthony Gordon to remain a blue. Um, I think they were both clear from, from the press conference. Yeah. Gavin, obviously the, the manager <laughs> wasn't given any guarantees either way. I mean, you've, you've followed Everton and you've been around Everton a lot longer than, than he has. I mean, what what is is your gut feeling? Um, do, do, do you think Anthony Gordon still will be an Everton player when the window closes or not? No, I think I think eventually they'll they'll come to an agreement with. If you assume it's Chelsea, that there'll be there'll be a fee agreed that will be favourable to us. You know, you hear stories that only 40, 45 million bids. I'm just thinking about the the Cucurella. that started off low and ended up being quite high, didn't it? Yeah, and I think they'll be the the same here. So I think, and and, and I get what Frank says. You know, the, the, this analogy I just said the other week is that my house is not for sale. Yeah, if somebody come knocking knocking at the door and offered me hundred thousand more than the the market value, I'll be thinking, oh, I think I'll accept this. And and the same with footballers, isn't it? Anthony Gordon's not for sale for the summer, but if somebody offers silly money, not silly money, but I think them what maybe the expected market value, then you you have to have regards to the club's wider financial state and the, the squad, squad strengthening and 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 taking that into account, you'll say yeah. And what that figure is, I would imagine will maybe in the 45, 50 million mark at the moment. So on that basis, I think Chelsea will will ultimately give us a fee that offer that is we find acceptable, which is probably about 45, 50, 50 million quid. And on that basis, I think um, Gordon will not be an Everton player at the end of the transfer window, would be my guess. What he did say, Joe, was that there weren't any issues with the player in terms of all this speculation and he is in consideration tomorrow, I mean, would you feel comfortable that Anthony's head's in, in the right place to be to be playing tomorrow? Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah. so. I think that, well, for a start, I'm not sure that Everton can afford to take yeah. attacking options off the table, given the state of the, the squad with in which it which currently is, with with, um, with Dominic Calvert-Lewin being injured. I know that we've seen Anthony Gordon play as a false nine in the last two games. That hasn't really worked out, but I think he probably gets on, you know, he's in Everton's strongest start in 11. Um, you know, certainly if you can find a way to play him in a position which he is more comfortable in. And I think you know, he's come through Everton's academy. I don't think his loyalty to the club or to the fan base or his love for it is under question here. I think that, you know, we do, I think most people would understand that if they got to a point where Chelsea and, and Everton reached an agreement over a fee and it got to the point where the discussions with the player, I think we could all understand to some extent why Gordon might be interested. You know, Chelsea are a huge club competing for, for titles and, and trophies year in, year out. They can offer him Champions League football and they can offer him probably a substantial pay rise. Now, that's that's not to say that there aren't mitigating factors, there aren't you know, reasons why he should perhaps stay at Everton and prefer to say Everton. Obviously, you would think he would get more football for a start. And, mm-hmm. you know, there is all his connections from him being a homegrown lad who's, who's grown up at, up at the club. 
but I, I, I have no doubts about Anthony's head and desire to carry on playing well for, for Everton whilst his interest is, is still going on. So if, so long as he's fit, then I don't think I would have any concerns. And judging by what he was saying today, I don't think Frank would have any concerns about, about playing him and having him involved in the matchday squad. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Gavin, I suppose the problem is, though, even if Everton were to get a pretty penny for Gordon, what would be seen as being a decent amount for a player who is a lot is what he offers his potential at the moment. You are in a situation when you're late in the transfer window is just how um, beneficial is that amount of money for you? Because obviously other clubs know you've got that money and they're, they're by, same as Everton, they don't want to part with their best players either uh, so close to the deadline. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's you know um, going back to what I was saying before. Points to perhaps well the daily you do a deal the better, and goes back to Frank's striker search. Really, mm. you, you suspect I'm just wondering, thinking aloud there whether he says I'm not desperate for the striker that he thinks that a golden deal is going to be done, and so he's going to give himself as long an opportunity to use that money. Yeah, it did. It works for and against you sometimes, doesn't it? And and let's mm. face it, you've got to think strategically here as well, haven't you? That that fifty million is a, it would, or whatever it was, assuming forty five, fifty million, if it did mm-hmm. come in, would help us regarding our finance. Why the financial problems would help us um, go looking forward to the next transfer window and the transfer window after that. So in in some respects, it, it, it's a. Do we do we have to buy a replacement for Anthony Gordon in the transfer window? Perhaps not. I mean, we've, we've got quite a lot of wide players, haven't we? Got Demari Gray, got McNeil. Wolby can play wide. Yeah. So it's an area of the pitch that actually we have got options. So it wouldn't necessarily bother me. I think if we we didn't do a like for like replacement in this transfer window. That money, I think, could be used for buying buying a striker or just taking care of some of our wider financial um wider financial overspends, as it were, um going forward. So, yeah, and I think that that that's maybe where the the club will look at it. To be honest with you, yeah, uh, Joe, one player who could well be on the on the move though, uh, Delhi Ali sort of came from nowhere a couple of days ago. Uh, Besiktas. And in for him, I mean, it's less than seven months um, since he's been at the club. But I think everyone would agree, you know, it, it, the impact that he's had has, has been minimal and it, it's, it's been disappointing for him. Well, I mean, it, it's not been a success his time at Everton. And as we record this, he, he is still an Everton player. I don't think any mm-hmm. firm decisions have been reached in relation to the interest from Besiktas at, at, at the moment. Obviously, we, we know that it's there. And we know that him going is is a serious possibility. When Everton signed Deli Ali, I think there was an understanding from from everybody that his career trajectory had taken had followed a certain path, and what Everton had going into it was they knew they had a player who has shown phenomenal talents in the past. He has he's led a side to a Champions League final and. Help, he played an integral role in helping England to get to a World Cup semi-final. So we, we know about the talent that he has. We also know about the 
the drop off in performances and influence over the last few years. And it was always going to be a balancing act or a, a challenge to see which Deli Alley would arrive. Would it be that he just needed a fresh start and then he would refine some of that form and show the talent that we know he's had? Or would it continue in, in the same path that it had been going at Spurs? Now, Delhi hasn't established himself as a first team player for Everton, which when you consider the situation that Everton were in at the back end of last season, and even the situation that they're in now, in a position when you know, Dominic Calvert-Lewin is, is injured for the first game of the season, there was no recognised fit first-team striker available. And then even last week when the one who is available became back from suspension, Rondon, and he started on the bench, well, I think many anticipated that Ali might be the, the best fit that... The best, you know, it was a square peg in a round hole, but he might be him going up front and playing as a false nine might be the best solution Evan had. And the fact that he didn't suggested that I think Evan still have question marks over how much value he can bring, certainly to the starting lineup. And it was probably quite indicative as to, to where he stands at the club at the moment. But I, I think that there also has to be some recognition that there were, albeit fleeting there were a handful of important good moments for Ali at the club. And when I think of that, I think of two things in particular. I think of the last minute equaliser that Richarlison scored uh, against Leicester City at home back end of uh, last season. I think it was the game after the Manchester United win when Everton snatched a draw despite having really struggled in that game. It was Delhi Ali that... I think he, he knocked Simothy Castagna off the ball, a big bouncing ball over the top, down on the flank. He, he knocked Castagna off the ball, out, out muscled him, got to the byline, pulled it back, and it was, Rondon missed it, but it was, Richarlison then was able to put it in. That goal was huge and set the tone for the relegation fight that followed, kept up the momentum, kept up the home record that was so influential in helping Everton over the line. And then, of course, there was the, the influence in the Crystal Palace comeback win that sealed Everton's survival in the Premier League. And I think it was... It wasn't just that when he was sent out to warm up at half time, it gave the fans something to latch on to. The fact that there was going to be a positive change, the fact that I think that there was a belief when he came out to warm out, warm up in the way that he did, there was a, a recognition that maybe Lampard could have the same concerns over the side that the rest of us had, having watched the first 45 minutes, he was making an attacking change. But it wasn't just the way that he helped kind of turn the momentum psychologically. He had an impact on the pitch as well. When when you look at it, it was, it was Deli Alley that won the free kick from which Michael Keane scored the first goal. When you look at Richarlison's equaliser, it was Deli Alley who brings the ball down the back post and it's his shot that's blocked that falls into Richarlison's path. So, look, if this is the end of Deli Alley's time at Everton, I don't think anybody could begin to make an argument to say that it's been a success. But I also think that it's important to recognise that within the within the reality that his trajectory has continued in the same manner that it was at Spurs and, and Everton haven't been able to get the best out of a player, it has undoubted quality in him. You know, there, there have been some positive moments and those positive moment, moments in the context of where Everton were last season were still important. Yeah. Um, Gav, I mean, it's <clears throat> a bit of an impossible question, really. It's a dilemma that some of football's greatest minds haven't been able to sort of fathom out, you know, your Deli Ali about four years ago, I think it was the Swiss Football Observatory, said he was the most valuable midfielder in, in world football by their calculations at that point. He's 26 now, should be at the peak of his powers. I think the fact that the only Everton game he started was um, Arsenal 
when they got beat 5-1 on the last day of the season, they'd already secured their Premier League status. That tells you everything you know, doesn't it? I mean, it, it, it's not been a success. No, with, with caveats by a couple of moments, Joe spoke about mm. there. It's, it's, I think Deli Ali's a player who's, who's lost his way, maybe mm. lost his love, interest in playing in, in football. And that, that happens. That happens with young players who can be successful early on in the career and mm. earn quite a lot of money and the hunger goes a little bit. You, you, you see that? I'm trying to think of... See that maybe in somebody like Ross Barkley as well, where mm. they just appear to be, you know, um, lost at sea, as it were. Mm. And I'm not sure. Sometimes it can just never come back yeah. for whatever reason. And it, and I think it's a shame because I really like Deli Ali and and as a player because he just he's quite unique in that he's not really. A, there's no real defined role that you could say. He's not a striker. He's not really a midfielder. He's he's a bit like a, a Thomas Muller type player, uh, and you you don't get many of them. And and the the hugely valuable when you get somebody like that and, and make it work. And I think for him, a move elsewhere, possibly to foreign climes, might be the best way, best move for him. He needs to rekindle that. That love, that enthusiasm, that just appears to have been on the way for, for a couple of years now. Mm-hmm. You, you also get the impression with, with Ali that he's a Pochettino manager, wasn't he? You know, as a manager. And yeah. I think his sort of decline, his rise and decline as a player sort of matched Pochettino's trajectory as well. And you, from that, maybe this is a, there's a certain type of manager that he needs. And yeah. And I think uh, that that's also important. He, he, he sort of Pochettino brought him to Spurs, best moments of Spurs. Pochettino's career goes into decline at best Spurs. His career goes into decline, and I think there's something in that as well. And I, I but and I really like him as a player. I just hope he can, re, re, you know, reclaim that that you know that that, that power and uh, finishing power that he had at, at Spurs. And but it, it looks a that looks a big ask at the moment, doesn't it, really? The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, I mean, my, my faith for him is that, you know, he's certainly not ability-wise because we've seen that he's cut it in, in the Premier League in the past. So it's not that he lacks ability. So that's why I fear even if he goes to Turkey, whether, you know, he'll be able to get that back, like, like you said, Gav. But just moving on, Joe, slightly, before we do start looking forward to tomorrow's game, um, I went down to the uh, to Bramley Moor site this this week, the new stadium site. Uh, got to meet the main man himself, Mister Dan Meese, the, the stadium architect. There's always plenty of interest when he's in town. In fact, look a bit like Dan yourself there in black today. I mean, he's Everton's uh, very own uh, affable Johnny Cash, as it were. But um, spoke to him, and uh, obviously the club gets uh, um, a lot of the criticism. All the uh, the problems have been at Everton in recent times, but the one constant has been the progress on the stadium. And Dan said to me that people sort of shouldn't forget just how committed um, the club's owners have been to this um, project. Um, the fact that they've had the, a worldwide pandemic and which had football behind closed doors for the first time. Um, obviously, the war in Ukraine has even played a part, even the threat of the European Super League. But 
there it is now. You know, we can see the progress, uh, the construction rising uh, before our very eyes. And it was Dan's first uh, visit on site since that sort of above ground construction um, had taken place. So I suppose if there's one thing that, you know, Everton's uh, hierarchy should be commended for is it's to this unwavering um, commitment to the new stadium. Well, it's one of the most important regeneration projects in in the country, to be honest, mm -hmm. when you look at the amount yeah. of money that's been spent and the, the the impact that it could have in the area around it, it, it it's hugely crucial. And in some ways, it's probably been a saving grace for Farhad Mashiri and, and those around him over the course mm -hmm. of the summer, because at the back end of last season, obviously, there was a lot of concern about the situation Everton found themselves in where despite all the money that was spent on on the pitch activities Everton found themselves in a situation where they were you know a whisker away from a catastrophic relegation yeah. or even throughout all that I mean the one thing you could always say in relation to, to Everton's owners was you know they'd always been willing to put money into the club it wasn't a situation where you know, like the allegations that are put against the Glazers at Manchester United, for instance, where they talk about taking money out of the club. Well, you know, Mashiri's put money in. It just hasn't been spent on the pitch. It just hasn't been spent in the correct manner. Now, yeah. Mashiri may well have been part of the, you know, the reasons behind <laughs> that um, and his influence and in how that money's been spent. But simultaneously, the money's been going on the new stadium and, you know, that progress has been made. It's continued. It's still ongoing. And, you know, if that is a project that, that comes into fruition and ends up getting built, then, you know, what what a... You won't be able to take that legacy away from those people that were there from the beginning and, and, and who started that project, and it would be a significant one. And it's at the moment, it's certainly something that Everton fans can, you know, get very excited about. And I think the city of Liverpool and the region and Merseyside should be excited about the prospect of that stadium coming uh, being completed and the impact that that will have on on the local economy. Yeah, and uh, Gav, while I was down there, I also spoke to Colin Chong, who's the Chief Stadium Development Officer. He told me all about how they've got this augmented reality now. You can put the headset on, you can view where you could be sit sitting in the new stadium, see what the view's going to be like before the state before the seat's actually built. That's something you'd be interested in? you think that's a, a good idea for Blues to uh, sort of check the spec out before it's actually there? That technology is completely beyond me, Chris, <laughs> to be honest, yeah. You know, you know, you know some stuff, stuff Colin Chong, doesn't he have a message once and he's very, very impressive mm. uh, person and, 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 you know, got full trust in him into, and, well, what he's done so far. Yeah, mm. I, this is the type of thing that it sells it, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah, you know, yeah. As if the stadium doesn't sell itself, but, but I like that type of little... Yeah. stuff that it, it appeals to people that are way more knowledgeable about <laughs> such technology than me yeah i'm just happy to turn up but i'm only my only wish is that hopefully the the press seat's a little bit bigger and a bit more space than yeah. what we've got at the moment at Goodison, which for somebody of my build as you know is a bit of a uh, <laughs> bit of a challenge but yeah, yeah. I, I like all that and, and i know i said we went to a meeting a couple of years ago with the uh, with Colin and, and the team, and and there's lots of lots of stuff like that involved in the stadium. Not perhaps not in the public public domain yet. That I'm sure people will will find uh, find attractive. Yeah, well, I think if anyone's over five foot six um, in that Goodison press box, they're struggling. It was built when uh, everyone just came with a notepad. But uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, look to, yeah. If, <laughs> look forward to this weekend's fixture when we'll all be cramming in there. Um, 
Joe, uh, yeah, the Nottingham Forest, 16 uh, new uh, signings. Obviously, uh, not going to get them all on the pitch at, at, at the one time, but um, big opportunity this for Everton if we want to get those first points on the board. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm not sure we're quite the stage where we have must-win fixtures, but whether you know we spoke about on here, the performances against Aston Villa and Chelsea haven't been that bad. I think there were positives to take from them, and I think that you know even for all we talk about uh, the striker situation, I think had Dominic Calvert Lewin been available for both those games, I think there's every chance Everton could have two points now as opposed as opposed to zero. But obviously, that ratchets up the pressure. You know, it's a home game against a newly promoted side. It's a type of game that Everton shouldn't just be looking to win, but it's okay. It's a type of game that if Everton started to have a season in which they avoid a relegation battle, it's the type of game that they need to win, I think. You know, having just described this as a as not being a must win, I've just described it as a need to win. So yeah, yeah I mean the semantics there, I mean probably saying the same thing, contradicting myself. But um yeah, it's gonna be a test for them. But I think that it's it's one that you know, they should go into with confidence and I hope that they concentrate and Lampard alluded to this, I hope they concentrate Evan concentrate on their own game and their own development, their own progression here rather than try and focus on Nottingham Forest and to be honest, they'll be at a loss if they do try to focus on Nottingham Forest because there have been even more incoming since the last time they played so how you prepare for a side which you have limited idea as to, as to what their starting eleven is going to be is going to be quite difficult but it's definitely a game that need to be targeting three points and with a Goodison Park crowd behind them, you know, with new signings having had 180 minutes to, to gel or, you know, 90 minutes or a bit less in relation to Cody and, and Onana, hopefully it's one in which Evan will be able to pull through, get three points off the, on the board and it will just ease a little bit of that pressure heading into the final two weeks of transfer window as well. Yeah. Like as Joe said, I mean, it's a difficult one to prepare for. You don't know what sort of forest sides you're going to be, be facing. Um, they're really gambling. They're, they're going for it, aren't they? But they, they, it's a gamble. I mean, it didn't work for Fulham a couple of years ago when they um, spent big, went straight back down. But, you know, completely overhauling the squad. Yeah, it, it's... Um, you can see why teams do it, but on the other hand, it's that continuity, isn't it? I, I think... Yeah, I think it's that thing, isn't it, now? It's so difficult, isn't it, when you come up from the Championship to the Premier League. If you come up with the same team, you're by and large probably going to go back down unless you do do really well. So bringing in a raft of new players makes sense, but both then that causes another issue that you've got to get them to gel and you've you've got players that maybe are not 100% fit and all that type of stuff. So I can see why they do it, but at the same time, it doesn't necessarily guarantee anything, does it really? As you say, with, with Fulham and there's been one or two others who've come up with the same policy. But it does make it a bit of a difficult game for us in some respects tomorrow, doesn't it, in terms of the unknown quantity of it. I'm, I'm with Joe. I don't necessarily see it as a must-win, but I definitely see it as a must-not-lose. Yeah. When you're looking at the looking at the fixtures at the start of the season, you're seeing Chelsea, Chelsea, Villa away is always tricky, and you're seeing Forest, and you're thinking of the five, five or six games at the start of the season. That's one that you're definitely targeting three points, isn't it, really? And I think I'd be disappointed if we don't get get three tomorrow, to be fair. Yeah. I'm aware we're pressed for time today, so I'm going to ask for a bit of a, a combo on the final question in terms of not just a prediction, but in terms of what you want to be doing team news-wise. I mean, Frank wasn't sure about... He was going to leave it late on, on Anana. And obviously, there's the, there's the centre-forward uh, situation as well. So, you can quickly give me both. Uh, Joe, I mean, what sort of team would you 
pick and uh, what scoreline you're going for. Yeah, um, I'm starting Rondon. I'm yeah. playing Gordon off Rondon. It's five at the back, isn't it? So, you know, that gives me what Iwobi, Onana and maybe Tom Davis in, in centre midfield. Obviously, we know we're not hugely, hugely blessed with, with centre midfields at the moment because of injury problems. Alan is, is, is back available, but mm. obviously having played so few games, I'm below, a little bit low to start him. So, I, yeah, I'd probably go you know, five, five at the back with Onana, Iwobi and Davis in centre mid and then playing Gordon just off Rondon. And then I think that Everton will win tomorrow. I understand what I've been saying about 16 new signs. One thing we have to remember is the context that a lot of Nottingham Forest players from last season that got them up had to go back. They lost a lot of them over the course of the summer. A lot of them were loan signings or players yeah. that were committed elsewhere. Yeah. Um, they got the win against West Ham last week, but West Ham on another day probably would have scored four or five, hit the underside of the bar twice, missed a penalty, had a goal disallowed. I'm being positive. I'm going to go... 3-0 to Everton. Wow, there we go. Uh, Gav, does, does Anana start for you? How, how are you going and how do you see get the score? Interesting. Joe Bench, McNeil then. Yeah, Yeah. I, I think just given, this, given the circumstances and where they're at at the moment, I, I, I think that you know, when Everton have, if and when Everton have more midfield options, I think can go back to discussing two in centre midfield and and an extra attacking player on yeah. the pitch. Uh, although I see Iwobi as well as playing in centre midfield, he's got the attributes that can help, perhaps help link him to to Gordon and, and, and Rondon. But I, for, for me, it would be your target man, Rondon. And then you've got Gordon playing off him, buzzing around him. And then I suppose if we, from what we saw from Anana the other day, he looks box to box, box office and box to box. So, mm. you know, hopefully there'll be a way of mashing it all together and causing Forrest a lot of problems. Box office and box to box. That's at a line and a half. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now I, I I differ from Jab. I I I expect us to win, but one nil. And I'd rather see with playing on Don, who maybe needs some service out wide. I'd still play McNeil and Gordon. Yeah. Don't play Davis and they're playing Arnold and Iwobi. Yeah. Um, in front of the in front of the back today, uh, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing an Arnold play. He was a bit coy today, wasn't he? Really? He was. He was. Uh, about he it, which normally, was when managers do that, it normally means they're playing. <laughs> Full uh, 90 uh, yeah. well, I, just I just don't really know what his other option is, to be honest, yeah. because yeah. his only other option, really, I mean, well, if you wanted to play three, you know, you've got a land, but a land falls because he's in an even worse situation. Now, Nana, in the fact that the match fitness, he's lower down the pecking order because he's been injured for longer, hasn't he? So. Yeah, you play Davis and Iwobi in the front three, maybe, but yeah. that doesn't doesn't save me. Uh, give me a load of confidence that. So, yeah, yeah. interesting. Hopefully, we'll get away. I'll complete the hat trick then of, of positivity. Like right. Gab, though, I think it's going to be a, a bit more of a narrow one. So I will go two one to be different. Then two one. So we've, we've gone for three wins, three different score lines there. And we'll be back with you uh, next week to see uh, where we correct those predictions, um, how Everton fared against Nottingham Forest, and uh, looking forward to another interesting week in the transfer window. So I've been your host, Chris Beasley. I've been joined by Gavin Buckland and Joe Thomas, and this has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.